Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, where it's all about a transformational growth and having a resilient mindset. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Before we get started, guys, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Today we have on the show a man who is a owner for the Five Star Fitness Company. He's also a trainer as well. He's also a coach, and he's the author for the book, Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. This man has been through his own fair share of adversities from a youth all the way to just out of some of the things that he'd been through with being paralyzed. But by the grace of God, this man has been saved from all of these adversities that he's faced. Let's welcome to the show my good friend, Mr. John Petrelli. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's an incredible intro. I got to tell you, I was this close to taking my cell phone out and videoing that intro you just played with the audiences. That's pretty sharp, dude. You in that suit standing sideways at the corner. And <laughs> I like it, man. I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much, brother, for being here, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. As I said before, you know, we don't have too much men that actually come on this podcast platform. And I know a lot of men sometimes don't want to share some things about themselves or their upbringing because of uh, the 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 space or the thought of just being vulnerable and transparent, man. So I just want to applaud you for coming on here and just talking about it, sharing your story, some of the things that you experienced in your life, man. Oh, thank you very much. There's probably a time in my life, Michael, where I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And I had to go through a lot of different, you know, I had to go through this journey to get to a place where I do feel comfortable sharing and how I get past that is because I just hope that it helps one person. Like if I can help one person by just opening up my skin and, and being vulnerable and telling, you know, my truth, then I, I feel like I've achieved something and I'm happy. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. So let's get into it, John. I, uh, I've, I've been waiting to ask you this, man. Okay. I've seen all of these uh, movies and stuff, confessions of this, confessions of that, but your book was Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. If you can, tell us a little bit about the book, who the audience for the book would be for, some of the lessons that might be inside of the book as well. Sure. That's a great question, Michael. So Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer kind of um, may have people thinking it is a tell-all book. And there is some things in there about my time in, in Hollywood and tell-all and different actors and actresses or uh, musical artists, uh, some that behaved, some that didn't behave. But really, the confession is about the confession of my life. I no longer know who that guy is. You just put the book up there. Dude, I had hair. It was dark and I had <laughs> I don't know where all that went. <laughs> um, so... You know, it's more of a confession of my life, like my journey of my life, how I went from point A to point Z, right? Or wherever point I'm at right now and how I've been able to grow and, and had some hardship and learned a lot of hard lessons. So a lot of my story, I held shame around in my life and I, I kept it secret for so many years. And so when I finally got to a place, place through what some people may say is a tragedy, but I, I'll say at this point in my life is a blessing. When I got paralyzed, I said, how can I do something positive out of this? How can I turn something positive from this incident? And I got the inspiration to write this book. And I never wrote a book before. I have dyslexia. I mean, when I start typing, spell check is like, what we have no idea what the hell you're trying to say. So we can't help you out here. So it's uh, if I can write a book and it be, becomes a number one new release, anybody can achieve anything. Anybody can really achieve anything if they're willing to put in the work and time. 100%, man. Thank you for sharing that, man, and just telling us your story. 
So I want to unpack some of the, the things that you mentioned earlier, but you mentioned sure. two things that um, I think is extremely important to talk about. You said uh, dyslexia and paralyze. Mm -hmm. If you can, let's talk a little bit about how did you get paralyzed and take us through that journey of what was it like to go through that um, experience in your life, man? Yeah, so we'll start at, you know, this point over here in 2021. And boy, it was, uh, I had, first off, my life has been defined for the last 30 years as a trainer by my physicality. I'm the guy that works with athletes to get them ready for their performance. I'm always in shape. I understand physicality. It's something that I'm passionate about. From working with an athlete on the field to having a grandmother being able to just walk down the aisle for her daughter's wedding or do something like that, whatever it may be, right? Whatever they're passionate about doing, I, I, I live for helping them on that, right? I join mm -hmm. them on this journey. All right. I've been known as that guy for 30 years, right? I've been on international tours with artists. And then in 2021, I don't know if these two things have correlation, but I got COVID. My whole family got COVID. Yeah. My, wow. Okay. My boys got it first and it was a blip on the radar screen and they had a little sniffle and it, it was over. My wife got it and it wasn't so bad. And then I got it. And more than anything, the challenging part for me, Michael, was that I had to quarantine for that 10 to 12 days. Right. I'm used to teaching jujitsu. I'm used to seeing 10 clients a day. So you put me where I'm restricted and I probably, I learned a big lesson in like how to back down because when I got diagnosed, I'm on the assault bike for like an hour. I'm around the house driving my wife crazy, building <laughs> And I overdid it and COVID lasted a lot longer for me. And I got over COVID. It was a little extensive. And then maybe about a month after COVID, when I got past it, my body still wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, my feet started going numb. Like I couldn't mm. feel my feet anymore. And I didn't say anything to anybody because maybe sometimes I'm guilty of this. And maybe men in general, we may not share our feelings and maybe as openly as women do. So I right. checked myself and every day I'm going to work 10 to 12 hours and I'm coming back. And then pretty soon I couldn't feel it started ascending up my legs and I couldn't feel now my ankles and my shins. And I kept it to myself. And then at night, my feet were hurting so bad that I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning. And I took ice baths. I filled my bathtub with ice. And it was uh -huh. like thing that would give me relief. So this continued until my hands started going numb. My vision started getting blurry. I was um, getting serious. Yeah. I, not to get crude, but I lost my urinary stream. I couldn't really pee anymore. Wow. And so I broke down. I got up in the morning and I told my wife, I had a discussion with my wife and I said, all this stuff is going on. It's probably been going on for over a week now. And when I get home from work today, I would, maybe we should go to the doctor. Uh -huh. God bless my wife, Cheyenne. I love her to death. She is the yin to my yang. She balances me out. And she said, you know what? You're not going to work today. We're going to go to the, the urgent care now. Uh -huh. So we went to urgent care and they started doing tests on me. And in the process of doing tests, I, I, I went unconscious. I fainted. And I'm not someone that's squeamish or doesn't like needles. It wasn't about that. My body was reacting. And so they did some blood work. And they go, we don't want to scare you, but we think that you may have this rare autoimmune disorder or MS. There's something going on. And we don't have the capabilities 
of testing here and we suggest that you go down to the hospital a mile down the road and we're going to call them and tell them you're coming and they can do what is a spinal tap uh -huh. they go into your spinal fluid they draw fluid out of there and they look for proteins um and so as they're going as we agreed to go and my body is getting weaker and weaker by the minute where it's now hard for me to shake hands. It's hard for me to start standing up. I feel like a double A AA battery that's just getting drained. Oh, wow. So we go to the hospital. By the way, Michael, this is the longest I've talked without taking a break. I'm glad you could be part of this. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so we go to there. They admit me in into the ER and they start taking all different tests. They do that spinal tap test. And as they're doing it, they said to me, okay, you can, we need to wait about an hour for this test to come back. If you feel more comfortable in your own home, you can go home or you can stay here. And I live a mile away from the hospital. So I said, let me, let me just go home. You know, I love doctors. I love physicians and nurses and all that, but the hospital is not the best place for me. So we go home and they said, listen, if you have what we think you have and your numbness starts ascending up your body, it can be very dangerous because it can get to your lungs and shut your lungs and heart down. So I go home. At this point, I can't feel anything below my knees. And within the next half hour, it starts ascending up my body and I can't feel anything from my waist down. Like I have no feeling. I've lost all reflexes in there. I'm having trouble standing. My hands are weak. So we go back in and uh, we go over to the physicians. This is exactly what's happening. So the tests come back and I'm either, I either have, they're not exactly sure at this point, but I have Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS, which is a rare autoimmune disorder where your body starts eating away at your own myelin, which is your nerve sheath. Mm -hmm. And your body's attacking that. It thinks there's a foreign entity in there. And so when you start eating away at your own nerve endings, you just taking all the electrical charges out of your body and you're getting weak. Or you might have MS. So they wheel me into the ICU and they put me in isolation. And as I'm going up there, I have to go in a wheelchair because I can no longer stand. And I, I have an epiphany. And I see a lot of other people in the ICU in these rooms as I'm going by. And I know a lot of them are probably not going to make it out of the ICU. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself in that moment, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but by the grace of God, I'm never going to complain. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm never going to say, woe is me. I'm never going to say, why is this happening to me? And I'm going to keep a positive mindset and I'm going to do everything I can do to get out of this hospital for my family and for my wife and my kids. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I ended up spending 10 days in that ICU and my body just continually got weaker until at one point I could only move my eyeballs. That's all I can move. The doctor would come in and test me and I couldn't even turn my head to greet the doctor. So, man, it, it's emotional for me as I relive this stuff. But some of what I'm going to tell you, Michael, maybe some people won't believe because i i believe in western medicine and i know doctors have a place and i'm so grateful for what they did i'm so grateful for every nurse that came through there but i did some things that helped me in those moments 
What did you do? I fill my room, number one, with positive vibrations by I love music. And Ziggy Marley is a good friend of mine. He was a client for 20 years, Bob Marley's son. And so I fill my room with Bob Marley, with Ziggy, things that would keep my mind in a positive state. Uh, I pray and meditate. And I said, you know, I might not be able to move my body, but I can control my mind and where my thought process goes to. And if it's nothing more than keep me occupied, I started praying tremendous amounts. I was meditating and breathing because I wanted to keep any negative thoughts from coming in my head. So I filled my room with positive vibrations in the form of music. I prayed and meditated tremendously. I started focusing on my body and, and envisioning my body healing itself. And then on top of that, look at, I'm a nutrition guy. I understand how food is fuel for your system. All right. And I believe that there's an injustice happening in the healthcare system. The people that are in most need of healthcare if you go to the cafeteria, there's French fries, there's chicken fingers, there's vegetables that look like they've been there for six months. And not only are patients consuming this, but the people we're relying on to our, our first responders in that moment, our rescuers, our doctors, our nurses are being nourished by low grade nourishment. Mm. So I had my wife go and make me puree because I could no longer swallow. I had no more swallowing. So I had to have all my food uh, puree. And my wife went home. She had the amazing idea to go home and puree organic food for me and mm -hmm. bring it back. So I was getting nourished on a cellular level. I had vibrations by in the form of positive vibrations of music of the Marley family. And I was praying to almighty God and, and meditating. And now, like I said, I'm not discrediting what Western medicine did. They in, it administered uh, medicine for me called IVIG, immunoglobin to help my body shut itself down from, from attacking itself. But all of that, I believe, contributed to a degree of me 10 days later, eventually gaining function of my body, you know, and, and getting out of there. And, you know, I, I made some other definitive decisions. I said, somehow, some way that this is not happening to me, but it's happening for me. And I'm going to find a positive thing to come out of this. And I, I got the inspiration through listening to an audio book in there that I was going to do my own book at some point. Mm -hmm. Not having written a book, not having flunked in high school, had teachers pass me just because they never want to see my face again. By being a degenerate youth, I, I had this thing. I said, it doesn't matter. All that doesn't matter. I'm going to do something positive that will hopefully inspire other people by reading of this journey. And maybe they're in similar circumstances. They go, man, this is a dark moment in my life, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if this individual can do it, he, if he can do it, I surely can do it. And so after 10 days of being in ICU, my brother, and, uh, you know, soiling myself, I, I coded out in the hospital. They put me in the MRI and I coded out and they had to have every doctor and nurse on the floor come and get me. So many things happened in there. 10 days I came out and I was in a wheelchair and I couldn't walk anymore. I had lost all function of my body, but I made a definitive decision once again that I wouldn't complain and that I was going to do anything possible and everything to get, regain my function. And when I got out of the hospital, I went to therapy five days a week with a the therapist and I did a new, another two days on my own and I never stopped, whether it was moving my fingers like this 
to eventually moving my hand, to moving my neck, to walking, graduating from a wheelchair to a walker, from a walker to a cane. I just never stopped until I came back, man. And uh, in 10 days in the ICU, I went from 195 pounds to about 172 pounds in 10 days. Wow. And uh, I made my way back. I mean, that's that's the abbreviated version of all the nonsense that I went through. But at the end, as I sit here with you, my brother, I feel like it is a blessing that all of that happened. I can't take it back. And it is a blessing because now I wouldn't be sitting here with you. I wouldn't no. be telling the story. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have written a book that people have read and contacted me and go, my grandmother has GBS. She's experienced the same thing you did. Can you give us any hints or secrets on what you did? None of that would have happened without this happening for me. Man. So, okay. That's super, super powerful story. And I'm going to have to peel back some of the layers to what you just shared, man. Sure, brother. We when I, uh, hear this testimony, man, and I hear the transformation. I think about myself personally, man. And I was thinking like, when was the last time I was in the hospital? And it was not for me personally, but it was for my son. And um, he's never had mono or anything like that. But for me, I started stressing out. And mm -hmm. but the thought kind of like what you kind of mentioned was hospital is not my jam. You know what I mean? So, so um for you to go in there and for something that seemed so severe, so critical, and knowing that this, I don't know what this is, I don't know what's going on, and it could be at the worst, the outcome of this, but you chose not to even believe that, think that, or to even put that into your mind once you even entered the room. And you said, I'm not, I'm not even going to think like that. I'm going to think totally optimistic. I'm going to think totally positive. I'm going to think that I'm going to get out of here and having that type of resilient mindset. I want to ask you, man, where did that come from? Not everybody has that type of mindset. Where did that come from? And it didn't just start in the hospital. <laughs> just, that, that must have came from somewhere, not just in that divine moment where you was going through this. So I want to ask you that question first. And as a follow-up, I wanted to ask you, as you look back at it now, I think you said you waited four, four or five days before you even said anything to your sure. wife. How much do you think about that too? So if you can answer those two questions for me, let me know. Man. Yeah, man. Great questions, Michael. So I agree with what a lot of what you said, but I want to add one thing to it. Okay. Where did that mindset come from? And it just didn't come from somewhere, right? I agree with that hundred percent. It came through a lot of pain, a lot of times in my life where I thought I was no good. I thought I was not good enough and, and had to work my way through it. It came from years of being uncomfortable and persevering. But I do, you said that not everybody has that. I do believe we all have that. True. I agree with that. I agree with that. It has to be nurtured and cultivated. It's not something we don't have a magic wand, right? At least I don't in my experience. I can't, I can't speak for everybody, but I've never had a magic wand in my life. But what I've had is a ton of resilience through wanting more. Through wanting, at one point in my life, I was selfish and I wanted more for me. But as I evolved, I wanted more to help. I wanted more to give. I wanted more to inspire others. I wanted more to be part of a winning team. I wanted all that more. And it doesn't come without consistency and hard work. So, man, 
I got arrested as a youth. That was part of it, working my way out of that. Uh, we'll get into a story, maybe not, where I almost I almost got put in jail for possibly killing someone at 19 years old. And here I get into it. Where I was going to go off to college and I got locked up and I had to I had to I had to reimagine what my life would be like being locked up for for committing a crime that heinous. It came from changing my peer group. It came from all these things of years of sleeping on floors and having a hundred dollars in my name and not knowing where my next meal was going to come from. It came from all of that. And in those moments, each of those moments I talked about right now. They seem like the worst times in my life, but God prepared me by giving me these events in my life for the culmination for the time I was paralyzed. Because if my life was filled with, with just Tonka trucks and baseball cards and sunshine and ice cream, when I got to that moment in the hospital, I probably would not have had that resilience. I would not have had that mindset. But all these dominoes had set me up to go, you know what? I may not have been here, but I've been some places and it's going to help me here. Okay. And I didn't just break like, a, you know, shatter like a glass house. So yeah, that's where I believe that came from. And I'm grateful for every one of those moments that happened in my past that were the toughest times in my life had been the blessings of my life. Wow. Yeah. And wow, then, wow. That's touching, man. That's touching, man. Thank you, bro. So, so let's touch on the uh, other question, man. Um, yeah. Did you ever think back at, man, this was going on like four days ago. Did you, did you think that I'm going to get through this and this is nothing or you think, or, or did you think like some guys may think like, I'm the guy that does martial arts. I'm the guy that's a weight trainer, you know, so I'm supposed to be big and strong and all these different things to my family, man. Um, what was that thought and what, what, what was going on with your mind that you said, um, I'm just going to wait, wait it out and see what happens until you decided to tell your wife. Yeah. So all those thoughts came in, right? All those in hindsight, like, yes, I should have told, of course, told my wife, of course she's right. Yeah, right, she's right. Uh, but I always think, man, I, I, I have this battle in my head, right, where I always think no matter what the odds are, I think I'm going to come out on the other side. Um, and I, I always think that about myself. I don't care what the odds are. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if it's 100 to 1. We're coming out on the other side. I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. So I, I fight with that mentality, which has served me well in so many cases. But then I also have to go, okay, there's other people in my life that need consideration. My kids, my wife, my mom, all these people that are counting on me. And so when I put myself through a certain degree at a certain point in my life when I was single and I didn't have other people counting on me, that's one thing. But now that I have other people, I have to continually remind myself that this goes beyond me, right? So why risk it? Why stay out a week when I can't feel my hands? Why have the ego, the ego to go not tell anybody that my hands are numb or my legs are numb? So it's helped me evolve. And I'm still evolving, man. I still have so much to learn, brother. I still, <laughs> you know, and uh, so, yeah, I do think about that. And, uh Many times, my life has proven that I should listen to my wife. <laughs> when she hears it, she's gonna be like, "I know." I, I tell you that all the time. Why you got the highway? Just listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so John, man, um, 
let's take some things back, man. I uh, I hear the New York in your voice, mm-hmm. and um, but I also hear the in your voice the guy that um had a rough upbringing, man, and he kind of alluded to that based off some things that happened once you got to to high school and things like that and getting ready for college. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, man, and uh, where you come from. What was that like growing up for you? Because it seems like that childhood helped get you out of that hospital. Some of the stories that you've been through got you out of the hospital. So if you can, tell us a little bit about where you came from and uh, how did that uh, growing up evolve for you, man? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great, insightful question. So let me just start off by saying anything I say on this podcast, I do not hold blame to anybody else. The actions I've taken are my actions. And there was a lot of people that had circumstances similar to mine that didn't act out like I did, that didn't do stupid things like I did. So I take full responsibility for everything I've done. Now, I do believe that there are certain things that kind of shape and shift your life and, and, and you have choices to make. Um, so my father, my parents were born in Italy. I'm first generation American. My family, Italian immigrants. My mom grew up on a farm, small town. My dad. We just came from Italy last week, actually. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Did you like it? I loved it, man. We went to Bagnolia or Bagnolia and then was in Rome as well. Wow. Yeah. My mom lives. I have family that lives in Rome right now. Uh, Yeah, that's beautiful. So. My dad was born in 1921. My dad married my mother at an older. He didn't get married to his 48. My mom was 23, 24. So my dad grew up during the depression and I don't blame my dad for anything he did. My dad had the tools that he had for his life's journey and he did the best he could with what he had. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my dad grew up during the depression and he had no father. His father had another family and left his family for another family that they didn't even know about. He had a stepbrother he didn't know about and everything. So I try to put myself in my dad's shoes and go, man, how would I deal with that? My dad went into the military at 18, and then he was in World War II, he was in Korea, and he was in Vietnam. He served in three wars. He retired as a lieutenant colonel out of the U.S. Army. My dad saw combat in many forms, and he never would talk about it. He, he never felt talking about it until his last years of life. But I know that they didn't talk about PTSD when I was a kid and it was nothing that was talked about. But my dad would wake up with night terrors. He would scream. He had malaria that he got from serving and he would have many different things. So my dad raised me as a soldier. Things that may have seemed as weakness to him, like love, caring, affection, And I, once again, I don't blame him for that is his life and his tools. So my mom, thank God, put balance in it. My mom is four foot 11 powerhouse from Italy. She loves cooking and being around people. Her passion is cooking. And if you ever met my life, my mom, Michael, you would be, man, she is full of life. First off, she would feed you more than you ever wanted to eat. And her life is about feeding and nourishing people and joy. So she gave great balance, right? And I love both my parents equally, but these are the tools they gave. So because of the relationship I had with my father, my father never once said he loved me or even called me son until I was 21 years old. Wow. And I didn't know, I, I didn't have the tools to 
break down those barriers that he had as an adolescent. And so I lived in fear of my dad. Like I could never feel like I could ask a question because he would say, you know, just things like, you know, why would you ask something so stupid? Or I, I would feel little, you know, I'd feel, so I lived in fear of that. And that fear ended up manifesting itself into anger. And then anger ended manifesting itself into violence. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can, I can process this now as an adult and go, man, I understand this now. But when I was a teenager, I, I didn't understand it. Like I would have a sporting event and my, my father never came to one of my sporting events and to see me. And I can't imagine that as a parent because my kids are in sports and I go to everything, maybe too much, maybe <laughs> I tell them now too much. I love them, but I had learning disabilities and I didn't do well in school. And that created frustration. I never thought I was good enough in that area. I felt like I was stupid. I felt like I was stupid when I went home. I was never good enough for anything I did for my father. And so I had this thing where I saw, if I saw someone bullying someone, I related it. I hated bullies. And so in my teen years, I was four foot 11 as a freshman in high school. And then I miraculously grew into six, six foot and grew in my sophomore year. And so now all the years I had been picked on, all the anger I had, all this nonsense I had of testosterone, I got into so many altercations because I didn't have communication skills. And the thing that put me in, and I cover this much more in depth in my book, but the thing that happened that changed my life is there was an incident at a fireworks show, graduating high school, I had been in trouble a few times with the law. I had been in many fights over stupidity, but I, there was a fight going on and somebody was hauling back to punch a friend of mine. And without any thought, I moved my friend out of the way and I kicked this individual in the face. Mm-hmm. And that person fell down and their back of their head cracked open on the curb, wow. went unconscious and blood was on the street. And there was a big mob around. And then somebody grabbed me from behind and I thought that it was someone from this person was actually with his brother. And I found this out later that it was a brother, but another person grabbed me from behind and without thought I reacted and I turned around to swing on that person. And as I'm swinging to punch that person, I realized I have a a handcuff on my right hand, on my right wrist and an undercover police officer had seen me strike this person and grab me from behind and now i'm punching an undercover cop with a handcuff on and you know that all happened in a matter of three to four seconds and now my life has changed and i get put in the back of a police car and there's a crowd around and this person's unconscious on the ground and i start selfishly praying that i'll be okay i start selfishly wondering about what's going to happen to me as I watched the police try to revive this person unsuccessfully, and then they call the fire department comes in, the fire department can't resuscitate this person. And now the ambulance comes, and here I am. It's the last week before I'm supposed to go off to the only college that would take me to community college. I have my friends that are going to much more prestigious places, and I'm going to a two-year college because it's really the only place I can go. And I'm and in my head.
I always had thoughts that in an act of violence, I was going to end up in jail. Mm -hmm. And now the manifestation of that is coming to fruition in my physical actions. And so I'd always thought through my anger that, man, someday I'm going to end up in jail. Man, someday I'm going to hurt somebody bad. And it's coming real. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the back of the, they end up putting me from a cop car into uh, what is called, I don't know for a better lack of terms, a paddy wagon, like this big van that holds people. And without getting into all the details, I put someone else in there. They put the person that I kicks brother in there because he started fighting back and the police had to put him in. So now I'm in the back of a paddy wagon with someone's brother that I may have killed. And he wants nothing more than to kill me. I mean, mm -hmm. what would you do if your family member was struck by someone? I totally understand, man. Wow. Yeah. So they transport me to jail. They bring me in there. And here I just had a bright future. We were supposed to go off to a party and we were supposed to have fun. And now my future is I have to deal with everything that is just I have done at my own hands. And to make a long story short, that person ends up getting revived. Thank the Lord. They end up living. I end up to go through the court system. I have covered in detail in my book, but the, the whole process of dealing with that. But in those moments, I knew I had to change my life. I'm not blaming my peer group, but I knew I had to change my peer group because I was not man enough to when a negative option came in my life to go, no, we shouldn't be doing that. I wasn't man enough to do it and, and, and ward off those influences. It wasn't my friend's faults. I'm not blaming them, but I knew right. for me at that point in my life that I had to geographically change my environment. I had to change my peer group and I had to change my selfishness. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but this ain't it. And I want to do something to help people. And so, man, once again, if that didn't happen in my life, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have become a trainer. I wouldn't have had a change in my life. And, and uh, you know, I pray for forgiveness for what I did. And, uh, and I can't take it back. And, but once again, man, I guess if I could take back striking that person, but I can't, and I can't take any of that back. So I know it's part of the fabric of who I am today. And it's made me a better person. And unfortunately, I had to go through those circumstances to have me become a better person. But ultimately, it made me a better person. Man. Yeah. John, man, thank you for being totally vulnerable and transparent and sharing your story. Man, I could see it, hear it as you relive that. And I'm, I'm going through the story as you're sharing it, man. And I could just imagine the emotions that's tied to that. And that atmosphere. What I, what I also hear though, man, is that uh, you were a kid that were bottling up a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, and a lot of things that was going on. And it was in that split moment where 
you have this emotion you have, and you're emotionally tied to something else or someone else that was going on and you responded within that three second time frame and time frame and time span man and it's looking back at it right i i could hear the uh remorse and all of the things that could have happened i think though man by the grace of god this person made it survived and it allowed you though to now be a change agent and live your life now on purpose and now to make an impact now to inspire people now to share your story so no one does or make some of the same mistakes that you did if you can man as you chose to change your peer group change your circle change your mindset and just redefine yourself in regards to just living a better life and be a better person can you take us through that process man um because that is so inspirational i know that there's so many youth right now that are in the wrong groups in the wrong crowds or struggling with some decisions that they're making and i and i want to hear your story what some of the things that you did so when we promote this when we put this out there and share some of these things that i grew up in miami florida so some of these things that you're sharing i know some of these people are going through some of these things right now I know in some of these rough neighborhoods, some of these things are going on right now. And some of these people are struggling. I know a lot of my veteran friends. I know growing up, they experienced some of these things where they grew up with fathers that suffer from PTSD or cell shock, these types of things. And they grew up with some of those same emotions, the same feelings like you did. I'm not going to lie. When I got out of the military, my wife had to correct me on this because. I try to teach my boys some of the same things that I learned from the military. And she told me, you can't raise these boys like that. They're not soldiers. <laughs> They're not Marines. You know what I mean? So, so she, she got a hold of me and, and I was, you got to get up at five o'clock and make your more, make your bed kids, you know, those types of things. And she was like, they can't do, <laughs> these are not soldiers. <laughs> so man, if you can. You're like, not yet. <laughs> If you can, man, your story is so impactful, man. If you can, man, just tell us what was that redefining moment and what were some things that was going on that you chose to, to you know, saying change your life, man, that could help some of our listeners that's listening right now, man. Yeah. So through that, through that incident, I started changing my life and it was a process, Michael. It wasn't, I was by no means an angel immediately after that. Uh, but I went to school and I went to college. And when I got into college for the first time in my life, I focused on my scholastics and I got good grades. And believe it or not, I went into criminal justice in, in school, right? So I, I went to the other end and I started, there was a, a process of me changing. I started building momentum. I was in the gym and I started isolating myself in the gym and putting that energy in the gym, in the weight room. Sometimes my friends would go out and I go, you know what? I can't go out. I got to go to the gym. And I was too fearful and didn't have enough confidence in myself to say, you know, I don't want to go out because I'm afraid to get in trouble or to have some of this happen again. So I started putting my energy into something positive. And for me, that was a gym. A lot of anger went into those ladies, a lot of frustration, a lot of emotion went in there, but it was something positive to do. And as I said, I wish I could tell you I changed immediately, but there were many more altercations and the thing that put me over the top is we got into a huge altercation with a big 
mob fight and somebody told me they were going to kill me. And they said, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And that was my absolute turning point because wow. this person was known for that. And I go, what am I doing? And that there was the can't the straw that broke the camel's back. I had $500. I had just gotten out of my second year of college. I called a friend who lived in California that I grew up with. He was now living in California with his uncle. I called him. I said, listen, I owe him a debt to this day. His name's Daryl Hagan. Wow. I didn't have many options. He took my phone call and he, and I said, I gotta, I gotta leave my apartment. And, uh, he said, look, we don't have any room here where you can sleep on the floor. Mm. And so I took what money I had. I bought a plane ticket. I had a duffel bag. My parents took me to the airport and two weeks later after that incident, I, I left and they had no idea why. And that was the first time in my life when I was at the airport that my dad was there and he said, I love you. And he called me son. And uh, I started a new life. And I'm, I went and uh, I moved to Southern Cal. And um, I slept on my buddy's floor and ate tuna fish out of the can until I could get a job. And um, I started projecting what my life could be. And uh, this goes back to like 1994, way back. Some of your listeners probably weren't, aren't, weren't <laughs> born then, my old ass. But, um, and I took, I started, I picked up odd jobs. I uh, was bouncing at a nightclub. I worked landscape. I did whatever. And then I took a test to be a trainer. It was the only test available for a certification to be a trainer. And I thought my friend that I was going to get a job and people were going to help me make a living and people were going to help me through hiring me. And the absolute opposite happened. Uh, I thought, I'm sorry, that I was going to help people and, and I was going to help people and make a living at it. And what it turned out is as I went on this journey through uh, helping people, they helped me more than I helped them. They helped me by giving a 21 year old kid a shot. They helped me by taking a chance on me and entrusting me to help in this journey of fitness on health. And it helped change the projection of my life. And I started being from selfish to selfless. And the more I help people, the more I got back. The more I put outside of myself, the more I got back. And it changed the course of my life. And if my buddy had never picked up that phone or said I could sleep on your his floor, I may have never become a trainer. And for the last 30 years, man, it went from that little kid becoming a trainer to eventually making my way to Hollywood and becoming a trainer on national tours, international tours with Grammy award-winning artists to working on movie sets with people to doing all. And that's why I say, Michael, I say, if I can do it with dyslexia, if I can do it having going to jail, if I can do it with anger problems, imagine what, the people listening to this can do imagine what they can anything they dream of they can do it if they're willing to put in the work and small actions change the absolute course of my life someone being kind and giving me a shot changed the absolute course of my life john man 
you have one of the most powerful stories I've been listening to. I've been starting this podcast thing, but man, your story is so inspirational, man. <laughs> You're blowing me away as I'm listening to the story, man. I want to ask you this, John. I, uh, I know that I could be that way, and I know that a lot of people are super, super prideful. Super, super prideful. And would not have done what you did when you said, let me call up my friend. And my friend said, hey, bro, I got a floor for you. I don't know how many people would say I would make that phone call, say I need help. I don't know how many people would accept going to sleep on somebody's floor. I don't know how many people that would accept I'll eat tuna, tuna, and for you to ch choose to do that, man, it takes a lot of gumption. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot, but for you to accept that and said, "This is the changing moment in my life." After what that person told you, says a lot about you and your character and your drive in regards to changing your life. So. I just want to applaud you for sharing that, man, and 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 telling us that part of the story. I uh, it's very great. Yeah, thank man. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I thought man. about it in that in that context. So thank you. So you had this defining moment, and the trajectory of your life is changing. I I just realize and conceptualize you had a lot take place from 21 below. That was a lot. Yeah. That was a lot, man. You had so much more to life to live. And as I'm listening to it, someone could have taken your life at 21 years old and you would not have been here to tell that story. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. I applaud you for that. As, as I'm hearing it, like you chose to make a decision um and within that decision you had a pro I, if i if i heard that from my dad it probably would have been like one of the best send-offs i could have ever had you know what i'm saying because growing up i didn't hear that i didn't see that and all of a sudden i got it right here in this moment that that means to me that he meant that you know what i mean he meant that like he 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 doesn't do this often, so or or at all that he meant that. You know what I mean? So I, uh, yeah, man, it's it's just crazy just to hear that. Man. It touched my soul when he said that. I mean, it broke me where I couldn't I couldn't even respond. But it, looking back, you know, as my father aged and as I aged and grew and matured, we had some conversations, and I believe you know that was his send off. We're like, man, my son, who's been this knucklehead is finally maturing to a degree into manhood. And for me, that was me leaving. If I look at my journey, that was me leaving my adolescence and mm -hmm. starting my journey of actually becoming a man. And uh, because we're all born male, you know, guys or whatever, but doesn't mean you're a man. You can, you can have very immature traits, which I portray that don't match your age, right? All right. So for me, I believe that was my send off in the manhood. And uh, it was a change in my life, man. I, I wasn't in a place. And I hope if there's any people that are in this place that are, you know, whether you're in your teens or your 20s or whatever age, man, I wasn't in a place where I was strong enough to 
make right decisions when influences came about, whether that was drinking, fighting, whatever. And so I got pushed to the end of my rope where there was not really many alternatives left and to make that phone call. So I don't know if I was brave to make that phone call or it was like my last option. So if you're out there with your last option or you're like, man, I don't have anything left, what am I doing? I want you to know that one small thing can really change your whole entire trajectory. One small decision. If you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you've hit your bottom, man, there's something you can do. And on top of that, you don't have to hit your bottom to make an intelligent choice. You don't have to go all the way down to what your the depths are to go, man, I need to change my life. If you want to change your life, you can change it right now. Unfortunately for many of us, we need that pressure to create a diamond, but it's not necessary. I firmly believe that today. Trust me, Michael, I'm going to make a decision to do something positive before somebody says they're going to kill me. Right. right. Although my wife has said she wants to kill me a few times. <laughs> I love it, man. I I, uh, I often hear people say, I'm going to make this decision or I'm going to do this decision next week, next month, next year. But in all reality, you could actually make that decision right now. Exactly right now in that moment. So thank you for saying that, man. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, your life in California, because after learning more about you, I think this is where, like you said, uh, stepping into manhood, that transformational growth started evolving and just things just started coming into fruition of all of the things that you wanted to um, just sit down and accomplish in your life. And with that being said, though, it seemed that it was extremely rewarding once the tables have turned, when your energy was being poured into helping people. Yeah. And yeah. it was, things was like much more, you started, felt much more gratifying and seeing like, I guess whatever God had inside of you just started like pouring out and pouring out inside of people and stuff like that, man. So I want you to share with us, man. Um, what was it like out there in California once you got there? How did you get into uh, the business profession? Who taught you business? Who taught you to get into business? and start training people and where did the love for fitness come in was fitness always a part of you as a youth or did once you got out there fitness started uh becoming the thing of what you wanted to do and you saw that this is your lane to start helping people because like you said you've been on movie sets you've been across the world mm -hmm. helping people with all of these different types of things so tell us a little bit about that journey for you man once you got out there sure so before i even get out there i'm that small kid i'm four foot eleven i i, I did okay in sports, okay in sports as a kid, but then everybody grew and I didn't. So then I just go, man, I got to get stronger. I got to get bigger. Bullies were picking on me. So all that stuff got me into martial arts. It got me into weight training. And at one point I actually got into bodybuilding. I competed as a bodybuilder at 18. I was in my little, in my little speedo. <laughs> and so I was like, how can I transcend this love that I have for this? How it's helping turn my life into helping other people and make a profession out of it. So when I got to California, that was my mindset. I'm like, okay, I can maybe turn this into a career. Now, nobody taught me the business end of it. Nobody, I just, I just had the overwhelming desire to do it. And I learned through a, a lot of hard ways and made a lot of mistakes. I want people to know that mistakes are blessings, right? You make mistakes, right. like, man, this is okay. It's it's not the end of it. You're just getting information. You're just getting feedback that you have to do something different or do it a different way. So I made a lot of mistakes. I do believe 
that I always had been watched over by a higher power because after I went and got my certification, I, I went and got flyers made for training and I paid some kids to put them out. My phone started ringing that day. And that's back in the day. Your, your listeners may not get this, but we had answering machines. There was no cell phone. <laughs> and I had an answering machine and I came home and there's all these messages about people wanting a trainer. And I didn't even know the answers to the questions they had. Like they're, they, I called back. And first off, I started disguising my voice and make it sound deeper because I didn't want them to know I was 21. So I'm, <laughs> I'm talking years. Can I help you with training? And and so I was embarrassed that I was 21 and starting this. And they would ask me like, "How much do you charge?" And I had no answer. I had to know how much I was going to charge. <laughs> and so, by the grace of God, my phone started ringing, and before you knew it, I had my first client. It was $12 an hour, and I couldn't have been happier than get $12 an hour. I didn't have to. Um, risk my life. I didn't have to do, cause I had some crazy jobs. If you read the book, you'll see, I did like loss prevention where I caught shoplifters. I had guns pulled up <laughs> for $8 an hour. So $12 an hour, I couldn't be happier. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Then I went to 15, then I went to 20 and it grew from there. And before you knew it within probably three to four months, I was working full time as a trainer and my life got immersed every day into helping people, every day into learning how to get better, every day into learning new things. And it was just, it was incredible for there. So if anybody wants to get into something, whether that's being a doctor, a lawyer, a trainer, just know, man, I feel like I'm super successful, but I didn't have all the answers. I grew as I went. I learned to be patient with myself. I learned to be patient with other people. I learned later to be kind to myself, as kind as I wanted to be to other people. And I still hold myself to a very high standard, but I'm still also now kind to myself if I don't know everything and go, man, why am I so hard on myself? Mm. Still hold yourself to a high standard. But this internal voice started shifting in my head from I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to going. I can learn this. If somebody else has done it, I can do it. If I'm willing to put in the time and read, I can do it. And so all that started systematically changing. So if anybody's out there and they hear these voices in their head, that's like, man, I'm not good enough, or I failed at that, or I suck at this. Just know you can fill your mind with other things that are productive, that are just readily available to you. Once you drop that bag of bricks that you're holding and, and all the stuff I had to drop on my pasthood, my pride, my ego, my nonsense, my cheesemo. I had to drop that nonsense and going, man, I'm here. I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to fail. And I just want to be part of this of helping people. I forgot what all your John, questions were and I was just. No, nah, that's fine, John. I uh, I talk about that all the time, man. I think when I when I when I speak to a good bit of people, I, I actually just had a kid um, hit me up. Um, through our social media, and he's trying to get into the industry. But what, what I, I told him was kind of like what you just said, but you were speaking towards how we put this limiting beliefs inside of our minds and inside of our head. And then once we get into a profession of something that we're good at, but we're around other people that's doing it, we start creating this imposter syndrome as do I belong here or should I be here or any of those types of things. And that's what you're speaking towards. But you chose to have that resolve. You chose to keep going. You chose to keep pushing as in like you have no other options. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so if you can expound a little bit more on that thought in regards to imposter syndrome, limiting beliefs, and what were some of like the habits? What were some of the things that you started creating for yourself that turned into a a decisive decision in regards to just to being disciplined and just executing at this one particular thing that you're doing? Yeah, that's great questions. I want to. So if you look at decisions I made in my life where they've been decisions that have helped me move forward, they've all been mm-hmm. infused with emotion, either the emotion of going from fear to gratitude, whatever it may be. The Even fear was an emotion that propelled me to make a phone call to go sleep on a floor. Right. There was emotion infused with that. So one thing I could tell people that really helps me and I found help my clients is you have a goal. You want to do something. Think about what that goal ends up meaning to you. I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, what are you going to do when you lose 10 pounds? Who, mm. How do you feel better about yourself? What do you want to wear? Where do you want to go? What are the things you can't do right now that you would do when you felt comfortable losing 10 pounds? Now, that can be when I learn something that could be whatever it is. But if you infuse it with emotion, it helps propel that beyond a dream to being something that can really happen. And now you take that emotion, that goal, and you put it down on paper. And now we have a, a blueprint how to get from point A to point B. It's infused with emotion. We put down details on how to get there. So all these things have to be infused with intention and emotion. So I've learned that along the way that that is why I've been able to achieve certain things. And then look at, I've had, I've been a person that's always had desire and I just, my desire was pointed in the wrong direction. And I needed some, some people in my life that were angels to me to write my compass. And so I started surrounding some intentional, some unintentional myself with people that were going to be lifting me up lifting me up and I sort of started changing my peer group. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody agreed with me because sometimes you need people to disagree with you to show you something that you may not have thought possible or give you another perspective on what you're looking at. And you go, wow, I never thought of that. If you didn't disagree with me and you were just a yes person, I would have never had this new perspective on how you feel or put myself in your shoes or look at it from this way. So I started surrounding myself with people that would lift me up, that would disagree with me and keep me in check and just were, oh man, just filling my life with who they were. And I was getting to be in a place where I can take it in and I can, I can take it in and be vulnerable and allow them to influence me. So those were huge things that changed me, changing my peer group, changing my environment, Understanding that, okay, I have this great stuff and now I just need to have a target to work towards. And man, Michael, I can tell, I know stuff about you before I talk to you because through your emails, you sent me a list of questions and you did your due diligence. And you said, these are some possible questions I might ask you in a podcast because you have a passion for what you do, because you have a passion for helping people, because it's important to you. Right. Now I've been on podcasts and not everybody's done that. Maybe they have their own way. But, man, I I resonate with what you did. And I go, this is a guy that it's important to him. So when it's important to you, you have a passion. It becomes easy. It's easy to get up in the morning. It's easy to to eat a certain way. It's easy to do these things because they're infused with passion. 
And I knew I wanted to be on her and talk with you because just from your friggin' email, I said, this guy knows what he's doing. He wants to help people. And I want to be part of a little part of his team. So when you have a passion and you're living in your passion, man, that stuff becomes easy. The hard work becomes easy. John, man, thank you for saying that, man. That means a lot, man. You about to, you about to put me in tears here, man. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> hey, John. So, man, I'm gonna actually just step step that up a little bit, and you'll you see what I, I um where I'm going with this. So, when I was screwing up in my life and things like that, I uh I chose to go off to Rush University, Emory Hospital, to learn all all of these things around mental health, PTSD, and on top of that, I chose to uh, better myself. So I changed my circle because the people that I was around was a whole bunch of things that I should not be doing when, when I was making some terrible, terrible, bad decisions. But to add on to that, though, there was a few words that was put inside of my head that I've never even thought about, never even heard or anything like that. The closest to it would, could have been a high school football coach or like a Marine Corps drill sergeant or something like that. But what I'm getting at is for me, it was mentors, accountability partners, some uh, coaches, and they elevated my life. They elevated how I think. And they even started talking to me about reading books. I was not really a big reader or anything like that. I was not a really a big podcaster or who to listen to and things like that. While you were on this journey, while you was on this transformation, I know that you changed the people that was around you that was influencing you. But at any point, was there anybody that you looked towards in regards to saying, this is somebody that I like what they're doing? I like I, I saw what they're doing and they're moving in a positive direction. Was there anybody like that for you? Absolutely. A hundred percent, man. I had some mentors and even some that I didn't have the realization that they were mentors in the moment. But as I look back, I'm like, how how positively that person influenced me. There's a guy, the person I called was a friend of mine. His uncle, was his name was Jimmy Treen. He's passed away. I owe him such a debt because ultimately it was his house he allowed me in. And now Jimmy was working his way through AA, right? So we can find in all of us, there's no one that's perfect, right? We can find great, beautiful things in all of us. So... As he was changing his life, he started changing my life. As he was working his way through this, he started changing my life from what he learned. And I look back and he was an absolute mentor. He was a loving person. I saw that even though he had his challenges, he was giving, he was caring. He saw the good in people. He saw the good in me. And I didn't have that at that point in my life. And so he mm -hmm. taught me to see beyond the surface of people and see that in the core, a lot of times there's such goodness, but we have this hard hour shell because of maybe some trauma we've had. So Jimmy Train was an amazing person that gave me a shot at it and he was a mentor. And as I'm helping people in training and they're telling me about their life, they all became mentors in my life. I learned a little bit from every person I've gone on a journey with. And once again, they may think I'm helping them, but at the end, man, I've learned so much from all of them. If you just listen, right? If you just listen and allow people to share and you give them a place where they can share, 
There's so much to be learned from the human element, from human beings. We have so many commonalities and we focus on what is what separates us. We focus on what makes us different. That's beautiful to be different and all that, but there's so many common threads. Don't focus on what we don't have in common. Let's focus on what we have in common, man. We're human beings. Right. We want love. We want care. We want this. We want, you know. And so Jimmy was a great specific mentor. I've had many clients that have been mentors and taught me different things in business, different things in relationships, different things in life. Man, I'm learning from you right now, brother. And so I just try to be open to learn from everybody. So, John, I, and instead of like some of the things that I speak on in stage or inside of my program, I always uh, speak about, I speak about three things, but I, I, I uh, put a spin to it because people never think about it, but you said it and you were talking about you chose to go in a certain direction in your life but what i i try to talk about and make it all make sense is is three d's decision direction and destination and once all of those three align life gets so much simpler life gets so much easier and you start learning the power that you have within yourself the power that you have within your voice um the power because a lot of times I found that I was saying yes to a lot of things that did not align to my destination. Mm. So I wanted to ask you, when it came to making certain decisions in your life as you matured, as you became the person that you wanted to be, were you ever faced with like some tough decisions in your life where you had to start saying no to certain things, start stop um, being around certain types of people, um, and then try to start starting to say yes to certain types of things where you know that this made sense for me in regards to like where you're trying to go to in your life for the destination of your life. hundred percent. There's a bunch of them. One comes to mind. So I actually got into show business a little bit and I understand mm -hmm. why I did it because I was trying to get my father's approval. And as like, if he could see me on TV, there's no way he can deny like he, he can't, he's going to turn on the TV. He's going to see me. So I actually became, I, I studied in between training people. I studied acting. I had no acting experience. I was a groundhog in second grade that had two lines and blew them and, uh, back in grade school. And I got on TV. I was on every soap opera. I was on things with Pam Anderson. I did all this stuff. And I didn't find fulfillment from it. It didn't fill my soul. I describe mm -hmm. it as being for me. And now maybe somebody else is different, but it was like an Easter bunny that is all shiny and chocolatey on the outside and hollow on the inside. And so mm. the money was great. The recognition was fine. It was great at the time. But when I, I never stopped training people and I made a decision, I got an offer to be on a movie of the week, a regular. And I got to a point where I didn't have to audition. This director knew me because he hired me a couple times before and they offered me the part. And the day before that, I had decided that I no longer wanted to be in that business. The day before, the day before I was in an audition with a bunch of guys and I was missing my newborn son and my wife. And I said, mm. why am I here? I'm not getting fulfillment out of this. And I called my agents that day and said, I thank you for everything you've done for taking a shot on me. It's been an amazing journey. 
I'm going to send lunch over to your office. I thank you, but I'm done. The next day I get tested as I'm sitting on the 405 and 101 freeway in traffic. My former agent calls me and says, they have an offer for you. You don't have to audition. You don't have to do anything. You're going to film in San Diego for three weeks. It's going to be this much money. And I said, I thank you so much. If you would have called me the day before yesterday, I would have been over the moon. But I know what my future is. And I mm. only want to focus on helping people and training people. And I don't do it for the money, although I get compensated in kind for the effort I put out there and what I help people. And I would love to do that in the past, but this is my future. And I thank you. And I looked up at the sky and I said, God is testing me right now to see if I'm serious about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I went home to my wife and I said, this is what just happened. I've never, I had to claw and scratch for everything I did in that industry and everything I got, I'm blessed for, I got. But the one time they offered this to me was the day after I decided to retire and I feel good about it. I feel good about my decision. And from that point, what I was able to do as a trainer and the amount of people I helped just 10x it 10x. And so that's a moment in my life where God was testing me to see if I was true. And I stepped into what I said I was going to do. And I just feel like, yeah, that's that was a huge decision where it didn't correlate with what my intentions were anymore. Man, thank you for sharing that, man. That's the perfect uh, explanation for me whenever I talk to people, man, about decisions, directions, and destinations. You knew your destination where you wanted to be at with your life, man. And you got tested on that road to see if you was really true to that. <laughs> so, so, John, man, I got a couple more questions, brother, before we get out of here. Okay. This has been a phenomenal uh, conversation with you, man. So the fitness industry was a rewarding experience for you, man. Can you tell us the impact that it had on you, man, in regards to, I know it opened up tons of doors and tons of opportunities for sure. you. Sure. But along the journey, you met a, quite a few fascinating people. Yes. Right. So can you share with us some of the people that either you made an impact on them or they made an impact on you just from you working with them, you helping them, or they're, them pouring into you or you pouring into them? Yeah. Man, so many people. So many people. But I'm going to tell you one specific story. So in 2007, there's this wonderful guy, Marty Handelsman. I love him to death. And he lived on the East Coast, but would vacation on the West Coast, him and his wife. And I would see them for a couple months out of the year. And they came in and Marty comes into the gym and I was training him out of the hotel he was staying in. And um, we're catching up and He's just telling me, you know, I hadn't seen him for a whole year. And he's like, man, I had some heart complications. I had shortness of breath and I went to the doctors. We got checked out. It's nothing. They said the best thing to do is continue to exercise and stay active and eat healthy. And so I take Marty off of the treadmill. We're talking and I lay him down on a mat to do some stretching. And he has a heart attack wow. right then. And we're the only two people in the gym. And this is a hotel that is a little bit off the beaten path in Bel Air and my cell phone doesn't work at the time. And so I have to make a decision in that moment. Do I run and get help 
or do I start a ministering CPR? And now as a trainer, we have to be certified every two years in CPR, but this not is not at the forefront of my mind every day, right? So I get certified, right. I do it that day, and then it sits in the, in the back burner. And so I go, man, I just got to do CPR. And I started ministering, administering CPR to Marty. And I go through, I think it's something like five, five, six passes of breaths and compressions. And at the time, it's different than it is now, but it, I believe it was 15 compressions, two breaths, 15 compressions, two breaths. And he comes back to life. I don't know how to explain it other than the, when I am breathing in his mouth, I see life come back into his eyes that were just moments before dead. They were lifeless. And I see almost the only way I can relate it to you, Michael, is that I had the same feeling when my son was born and he wasn't there. And then all of a sudden he was in this world and Marty comes back and I'm mouth to mouth with him. And in that moment, there are no words spoken, but there's so much communication between us. And we're looking, we're an inch away from each other and we're looking at each other's soul, basically. And it's the only guy I've ever kissed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up, somebody walks in a gym, a man and a woman walk in the gym moments after that. And they're understanding without any words being said what happens and i direct them to go and get help i said we need help some somebody has to call 911 and marty has a second heart attack he realizes what happens and he has another cardiac arrest oh my god and i start wow. administering cpr again and we go through and he comes back to life a second time and just as the ambulance is pulling up, I can hear the gurney, the ambulance in the distance. They drop the gurney, they come in, and they come in, and he comes back to life, and they hook him up to monitors, and his heart rate is 11 beats a minute. And they bring him to UCLA, and for the next, I think it was two weeks, they had to, he ended up having a bad valve in his heart. They have to put a pacemaker in, complications happen in surgery, and for the next two weeks, I am a train wreck. Because even mm. though I find out later it's not my fault he had a bad heart, this is someone that happened on my watch, and I'm taking full responsibility for this, and I was an absolute train wreck. But he makes it, and we are dear friends. He is an eternal part of my life, and he's helped me in more ways than I can ever tell you I helped him. And that is a moment in my life that would have never happened through training. I am blessed to have had happened to me and is probably one of the most pivotal moments in my life to be able to give CPR to someone and be lucky enough to have it be successful twice because I can guarantee you I did it wrong and I screwed up many times and the cadences were wrong. But by the grace of God, that event came out successfully. And that is someone that has touched my life dearly. John, speaking of God, man, I'm I'm touched, brother. I'm touched, man. How impactful has it been to your faith, your testing of faith, with uh, your relationship 
with God, man, to see the transformation of your life and all of these moments that you've been in, man. How important is it in your life, man? So if I take the journey of my life, I grew up Catholic and I had some fallen outs with God and religion. And I left him several times, but he never left me. And there is no way for me to explain things that have happened in my life other than someone was looking out for me. I've had too many things happen that can only happen from the grace of God. And so he never left me, he stuck with me. My wife brought me back to God, back to church and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for all of that because, man, we look at ourselves as men as being strong. I believe I'm a strong person. I have strong will, but I could never have done this without his help. Not strong enough. And I mean, it means everything. And uh, I think my wife for bringing me back to that, for giving me all these realizations. And uh, man, I wake up every day. The first thing I do is, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it's prayer, meditation, gratefulness, thankful, gratitude. I wake up every day and I have gratitude and I thank God. Thank God for giving me another day, for giving me a chance to help people for giving me everything he's given me. And uh, it's, it's been everything, man. Amen, man. Wow, so, all right, John. Um, I'm just hanging on every single word that you're saying. You know that I chose to have God in my life, man, as my life partner when I decided to change my life. I chose God to have him as my business partner when I decided to get into business. But in addition to that, I um, I had somebody else join me on that journey, and um, this person is called my wife, and she became my life partner too as well. And she's been supporting me along the journey. And um, you've referenced quite a few times in this uh, interview about your wife, man. Can you tell us a little bit about that support while you're on this journey of life? purpose and this the mission that you're on now man can you tell us how how important your wife your family support has been in your life man and that is up there tied for the number one spot it is uh my wife has stuck with me when uh man it was just me at some points where i was selfish and she stuck with me and saw goodness in me she stuck with me through different things that I, journeys I went on that many people would have walked away from. And that structure of having that in my life has saved me. She's been my balance, whether that's telling me I need to go to the doctor or just calming me down uh, and giving me better insight. She's caring. She's compassionate. Um, you know, 
I don't want to paint a picture that it's all roses and balloons every day because it's not right. It's something you have to work on. You have to systematically be engaged and involved on wanting to make it work. Right. And sometimes she's, she's taught me that I'd rather be happy than be right all the time. Right. I don't need to be right. My goal is to be happy and be (laughs) me to let things go. And I think it's imperative, man, whoever your partner is, have someone that's going to help enhance you, you enhance them and know that no man or no woman can do this on their own. It does take a village. It does take a village. You doing the support things you're doing for other veterans, for kids, all that. It takes a village. You're part of that spoke that makes the wheel go round. My wife is part of that spoke for me. You now giving me a voice and a platform and taking this chance and listening to my mumbo jumbo is part of my spoke of the wheel that goes around. So it's super important, man. Surround yourself, your peers, your relationships, all that. it can make or break you and do all you can to help them grow, to help you grow and evolve together. So mental health is uh, extremely, extremely important for me, man. And listening to your story, I could tell that there were some things that was going on that affected you and you chose to get out of that but you did put some things in place to get out of that can you talk to us now how important is mental health for you how important it is to incorporate just your your own like self-perseverance those types of things so what are you doing as uh as you choose to take care of yourself mentally emotionally physically mm-hmm. and spiritually it's great buddy let's give these let's give some tools and maybe they can use one or two that i do but here's our tools and steps that i do every day you cannot go to the gym and expect to do five push-ups and you're going to be in shape for life it doesn't happen that way and the mind is the same way in fact i believe the mind is so much more powerful than your physicality because the computer trick controls the machine right and we got to have good mental health So for me, tools that I do every day, I wake up very early every morning because I want to get things done. It doesn't mean you have to, but for me, before the world starts and starts pulling me in other directions where I may be needed and justifiably so, I need to take time for myself because in order to give to other people, I have to be full. So at the end of the day, my cup may be drained, but I'm going to fill it up in the morning and do things. So I have my, my time where I do breathing. I do Wim Hof breathing. Well, you can find that on YouTube. It's free and it's breathing. It's 12 minutes. I do my prayers during the same time I'm doing that breathing. I do that by myself, although I'm not I'm not opposed to doing it with other people. I've done it with my wife before. And that's the first thing I do I, in the morning. I have a couple glasses of water. I start nourishing my body. I nourish my mind and my soul by praying and giving that breathing. And then I do something that's physically challenging for me because we all have energy. And now where are we going to put that energy? Are we going to put it into something that's going to take our energy away? And now this may sound counterintuitive, but actually when you exercise, you walk, you garden, you hike, you play basketball, you get more energy from that because it's momentum. So now right. I physically take care of myself and I love to put myself in uncomfortable positions. I stink at swimming. So guess what? I try to swim. I swim like a rock, but I know I get uncomfortable and I'm going to grow there. 
I do things like jujitsu. I work out. I do that every day because now I know I'm going to see eight or 10 people. And I have in order to give up myself, I have to have some of myself to give to them. So I do something physical. And then I'm very big on proper nutrition to really nourish my, myself on a cellular level. And I eat for me what I believe works for my body. And so I have my breathing. I have my prayers, my gratitude. I have my physical activity. And then I have my nourishment. And those are non-negotiables for me. Those are non-negotiables for me because I want big things for other people. I want to be able to help a lot of people. And I can't do it if I don't have mental acuity, if I don't have mental clarity, if I don't have mental health, if I don't have physical ability. So, you know, I would have never been able to write a book and have the perseverance if I didn't have those things. And Michael, we all learn in different ways. You just educated me in the three D's that you have. And I would love to be able to borrow that and use it in the future. And I learn ways in other people. I have dyslexia, so it takes me longer to read things. And I'm more of a visual learner. But there's a way for me to learn. And I've learned in giving information, people absorb information that I may have in different ways. And we're all individuals. So I came up with this thing several years back, and it just made sense to me. A lot of people like eggs, right? We may eat eggs for breakfast. Mm -hmm. People like eggs served in different ways. So I try to serve information. You like it scrambled eggs? Great. We'll scramble the eggs. You like fried eggs? Very few people like eggs raw, but a few people might have them that way, right? So I right. only give people raw eggs. They might want to egg the information, but they can't digest it. So mm -hmm. Tell me how you want to digest that information so I continually learn, so I can send over information to people in the way that they can digest it. So I'm on a, a course of, I always want to learn. I'm always reading books now. Through my youth, I didn't read nothing, man. I didn't even look at comic books. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. But now I'm continually, <laughs> I have your book in my queue in audiobook. I'm always listening to books. I'm always trying to educate myself for me, but also for I can hopefully help in some situation. John, thank you for sharing that, man. Um, that's uh, truly, truly empowering. I think that's that's some of the key to to success in life, man. Is just having those at like your core or at your at your foundation, man. And to hear that, that's what you how you start your day off. That means a lot. That just confirms the way I think, way I process, and way I do things, man. Yes. As we uh, close out, what are wow? What are some advice, says? What are some lessons that you could uh, leave our audience with, man? You grew up with a childhood that experienced a good bit of things before you even turned 21 or right at 21. And you managed to get out of a lot of situations by the grace of God. And then we spoke about the transformation of your life. How now you're making a tremendous impact in people's lives, man. and you spoke about earlier as we started off this podcast um, around what took place with being paralyzed uh, through COVID, going through COVID and stuff like that. You have so much to share, man, so much to teach. Leave us with some lessons, some advice, some gems that our audience could take away, man, because this conversation has been truly a blessing, brother. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. And I want to see before I even say any of that, what you asked me, I just want to say how grateful I am. For number one, anybody that's tuned in. For number 
to one point B for you offering us this platform, right? This doesn't happen without you doing this. This doesn't happen with you being brave and going, man, I want to hear what other people have to say. I want to share it with the world. I want to help people. So this, we don't know the trickle down of this. You and I don't know. Maybe somebody listens to this six years from now, six months from now, and it just sparks a little something in them. And if we do that for one person, man, you articulated this so greatly before we even got on the air. If we can help one person, we've succeeded. Because what does that one person do, right? We want to grow this and compound it. So I thank you for that. What I can share with people is no matter where you are right now, you're in that perfect place. Own what you are. So many, I'm honored that you feel that this has been impactful for you because for so many years, I didn't have the ability to share this because it was shame wrapped around it. I was, I, it was hidden inside of me because I surrounded it with so much shame. And you have to, I came into my power and a lot of doors opened for me when I understood that these were the thread and the fabric of who I am. I can't change it. I can't change any of it. I can't go and change my father not having a father and the way he treated me. And I understand and I've given him forgiveness for everything that's happened. He's not to blame. It's his journey. I've taken responsibility for my own actions. I haven't blamed anybody else. And I've owned what has happened and I'm grateful for it because it's happened for me. Everything in my life right now has come to this moment where you and I are sharing this. So if you're out there and you have shame around something, you're not happy about what happened in the past, learn from it. Take the tools from what you learned, put them in your tool belt. And now as you go forward, you have more ability to tackle the next obstacle, the next challenge, the next whatever it may be. Because if I go in the ICU room and I don't have all this, as we said, I don't make it out of there. I likely don't make it out. So own what you are. It's a blessing. Don't surround it with shame. Be kind to yourself as you would be other people and love yourself as you would other people, right? Demand the same respect out of yourself for yourself as you would have other people do for you. And just know that everything happens for a reason. I know it's cliche, but it truly does. And you're in a perfect place right now to create greatness, to create wonderment. You're in a perfect place to help other people. You're in a perfect place that you only uniquely have this gift from God that has been given you through your adventure, through your hardship, through your life has given you right now to bestow upon other people and help them on their journey. So whatever your, your history may have been, it's perfect. And go and bring it to the world and thank you for that john so john as we get ready to wrap up man if anybody wanted to book you for another podcast book you for a speaking engagement um do business with you or anything of that magnitude to just reach out to you man to say thank you for your story man how can they get a hold of you brother first off if they did they're absolutely nuts if they want to do that <laughs> <laughs> number two is look at before i even give out my information i have an absolute affinity for people that have served us our military our law enforcement our paramedics our firemen our doctors our nurses our teachers and if there's a way if you want to reach out to me i will donate some of my time to help your cause 
because I have such a passion for it. And what I get in return from helping people that have helped us in our times of need is far surpasses any monetary compensation I can get. So I want to put it out there. Number one, I will help and I will donate time, right? I can't do all my time that way, but I would love to do a certain portion of that. Number two is they can get a hold of me at johnpetrelli.com. The book is confessionsofahollywoodtrainer.com. It's also my website. There's this thing out there that I finally come accustomed to. It's called social media. I was fighting it for years. On Instagram, I'm john.petrelli. On Facebook, I think I'm John Petrelli. Um, so, yeah, that's where they can reach me. I'd be happy to help. I'd be honored to help. And uh, if you hear this and you want some help, man, it may take a moment for me to get back to you, but I will 100% return an email. I will 100% return a phone call, a text. And uh, it's important to me, and I will do it. John, man, it's been an absolute pleasure, brother, to have you on, man. Thank you for being on the show, man. It's, it's, it's been amazing, man. Amazing. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. I'm in debt to you, and it's an honor to sit here with you. Thank you, man. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Overcoming Adversity podcast. We just want to tell you guys thank you. We love you. Until next time, peace. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier Thank God for clarity